Kind of takes you back, like Windows 95 vibes, right? Yeah. Wow, having like nightmare flashbacks. Like, oh man, remember when computers didn't help you at all. Uh, they just made more life more difficult. Uh, but before we uh, jump in this morning, uh, I just want to say like we have some amazing friends that surprised us today from California. They are actually a part of the very first church that we launched um, just in Plumas Lake, north of Sacramento. And um, Keith and Jen Miner, their son Andy, uh, surprised us all the way from Sacramento today um, and came and say it to say hello. Thank you guys. So good to see you. Um, you want to come up here? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. So I, I, I'm actually pretty excited about this series because I, I honestly believe that it has the potential to really change the game uh, for many of us when it comes to our faith and, and also for us as a church to kind of take another step forward. So this month is designed not necessarily so much to be a group of teachings that I'm going to give, although I am going to teach every week. Uh, but, but more a, a group of challenges that we're going to take together. And so if you're a guest this morning, we just want you to know like the pressure's off. Like this is really one of those conversations that we're having for those of us that really this is our church and we're going to lean in together. And so um, you're more than welcome to, to be a part of it and to take these challenges with us. Uh, but just know that like there's, there's no, nobody's going to you know, look at you sideways if you're just like, ah, I'm not sure what this is all about or if you're just kind of checking things out. So last week we actually talked about how Jesus kept insisting that it's what we do with the things that he said that matters. It's not just, it's not just what we believe. It's not just us going, yeah, I agree. It's, it's how we behave in response to those things that he said. And so it turns out it was such a big part of what Jesus taught that his half-brother James actually wrote about it years later. And so we're going to read it in just a second. But as, as we get ready to do that. I was thinking about it this week, and I've often said this, but what would, you, what, what would you have to do to convince your brother that you are God? Or, or what would your brother have to do to convince you that he is God? I have several brothers, and it would take some pretty, something pretty big, something pretty amazing for me to actually begin to believe that one of them is God. And, and, and what, the, the reason I bring that up is because James wasn't actually originally part of the movement of Jesus. In fact, it was only after he watched Jesus be crucified and die, he was there when he was buried, and then he saw Jesus alive again after he was dead, that he became convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And so then it was at that moment that James actually became a leader in the movement of Jesus and, and, and began to help kind of spread the message of who Jesus was and who he claimed to be and ultimately wrote a letter to kind of help Christians all over the, the, the known world, all over as the church spread, all over the Mediterranean rim, all over the Middle East, uh, to help Christians understand what faith looks like in real life. And in his letter, this is part of what he wrote. In James chapter 2, verse 18, he said, Someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. And he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And then in the next couple of verses, he actually begins to use a really uh, famous, familiar example to the people that he was writing to uh, of a guy named Abraham from the Old Testament. And, and this is what he says in verse 22. He says this, he says, his faith, speaking of Abraham, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So he's talking about believing and doing, faith and actions. And for James, you couldn't, you couldn't separate them. They, they went hand in, hand in hand. See, I, I think if James were here this morning, he'd tell us that most of us don't need to know more 
I, I think he would say we need to do more with what we know. In fact, James went on to say that in faith, when it comes to faith, that, it, that faith that's not put into practice is actually just empty and dead. It's just empty words. So the truth is, we, we all have certain things that we know we're going to need to do to grow spiritually, or you, maybe you know that you need to do to grow in a certain area of your life. Uh, but for most of us, because we know they're going to stretch us, or they're going to be a challenge, or they're going to be difficult, we kind of put it off, and, and w- whether it's the, the way that we eat or the, the, the way that we move or the way that we manage our money or the way that we behave in a relationship. And certainly when it comes to our faith, like we know that there's things that we can be doing. There's ways that we can actually put into practice what we actually know and begin to grow and improve and learn and get better. And James is saying like, when it comes to that kind of stuff, if we don't actually put it into practice, then it's just empty. Now, I know that part of this is that there are certain steps that can just feel like they're just a little too big or they're a little intimidating, but things are certainly less scary. They're certainly less challenging when we do them together. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another on towards acts of love and of good works. And so how do we motivate each other around here? How do we motivate people at South Hills, um, at churches, a lot of churches that I grew up in, a lot of churches that I've been around Um, The primary tools for motivating people were were guilt and shame and manipulation. And and we've all experienced that. If you've had any sort of church experience that was negative or that went sideways, um, it was probably because something about that experience was exactly that. Somebody was trying to manipulate you or guilt you or shame you into doing something. And and so um, that is the farthest thing from anything that I, like, that's in my heart, that any, anything that is a part of what we want to be about. And we don't yell at people. We're not calling them out. Uh, in fact, when here, one of the ways that we challenge and invite people is by doing things together. It's taking steps and then inviting others to join us. So yeah, we're, we're going to talk about some different stuff this month, but the idea is that we're, we're all going to take a series of next steps together. And even if you've already taken some of them before, I think there's something powerful that happens when we all pull in the same direction at the same time. And so the question at the heart of this series is, what could happen in our church, in your life, in my life, if we all did just a handful of things all together right now? So Rather than keep you waiting, rather than keep you kind of guessing the whole time what sort of ask we're going to build towards today, I'm just going to give it to you right up front so you're not just like, like, where is this going and what is he going to do and what's the challenge and what are we supposed Here's the challenge this week. Here's the challenge for this Sunday. As you're out on the patio today having ice cream and, and mixing it up and getting your second or third ice cream, as Shira pointed out that you could do, uh, abusing the system. No, just kidding. As you just eat as much as you want, that, that there's a table out there that we want you to take the step and sign up to serve during the month of October. Not, not a lifetime commitment, not forever and ever, amen, not you joined a team and now you got to do it forever and you want to get out of it. No, not a six-month commitment just for the month of October. Now, I know like sometimes when we come to church, we're like, and this kind of, this kind of conversation's happening, we're just like, oh man, like we came on the Sunday that they're talking about serving, Oh, why did we have to come back from vacation on this day? But just, just hear me out for just, just, just a few minutes. Because I, I don't know if, you, if you've ever felt this way, but 
I, I remember at the beginning of the year, of this year, of 2021, just how much I was hoping that 2021 would actually be dramatically different from 2020. That, that it would kind of be like an etch-a-sketch year where it would just sort of reset and erase everything that we experienced last year. But instead, in so many ways, it has felt like an extension of 2020. Yeah, like, like 2020 part two, like a sequel that should have never been made, which is like most sequels. Like Paul Blart 2 or any of the 28 Fast and Furious movies. I mean, even the 2020 Tokyo Olympics happened in 2021. Like them happening this summer kind of just felt like a metaphor for what we've all experienced. Like, like we're just sort of collectively stuck, stuck in some sort of groundhog day time loop, but it's not just a day. We're just stuck in the same year, the same pattern going forward. This is just all, this is just the way it's gonna be. But one of the really interesting things that's happened over the last 18 months in our, in our culture especially is, is that there's been a giant reshuffling of our culture, a giant reshuffling in people's lives. People looking at their lives, looking at their careers, looking at where they live and deciding, you know what? I want something else. And the truth is a whole bunch of us actually began looking at you know, different parts of our lives and asking ourselves like, why am I doing this? Does this matter? Does it matter anymore? And the truth is, is the, for a lot of us, the reason why we live in Idaho is because we did this very thing. Is this where I want to live? Is this what I want to continue doing? Is this what really matters? Are there other things? Is there a better life? Something? Could I go somewhere else and do something else and have something else? Why am I doing this? Does this even matter? Which I, I think is an important question for us to ask about different parts of our lives because inertia is incredibly powerful. It's easy to kind of get caught up in the momentum of our life and just find ourselves spending our days doing things just because we were already doing them doing things that feel like they were important, like they matter in the moment, or maybe they, start, they were important and mattered when we started doing them, but that ultimately they don't matter anymore, which kind of brings us to a conversation about church. See, I, I think before we have a conversation about the possibility of all of us sort of coming together collectively to serve, I, I think the fundamental question we have to wrestle with and we have to ask ourselves is, does this even matter? Like, like really? Does it matter? Does, does church matter? I mean, wh why come here week after week? Why do any of us give any of our time or money or energy to this place at all? If it wasn't obvious before 2020, one of the things that kind of crystallized the last year is that you can find the best of whatever you're looking for and have it ordered and brought to you or stream it in your house. And you don't have to do it. Like I know there's people, and, and I'll not say their names to protect the innocent, but I know people in our church who had like Cheetos and a bottle of soda delivered from Jackson's to their house at some point in the last year. Like, I mean, that's, if that is not the epitome of being lazy. And no, I, I, it's crazy. But even when it comes to church, right? Lisette, our team is great. Lisette is amazing. But you're honestly just a couple of clicks away from the best music and the best worship in the world. I've been doing this a little while. I most of the time can hold an audience. But you have the best communicators in the world on demand anytime you want. And I know it's hard to imagine, but there are preachers and teachers who are funnier and smarter and more engaging, more insightful, better looking. And you 
you can listen to them anytime you want. And so I, I think it's important for all of us to kind of step back and actually ask ourselves, does this matter? And if so, why? I, I've been a lead pastor for 14 years, and in that time, we've started three different churches. This is the third one. We started them all from scratch. And, and I've had so many conversations with people over the years where, where people have said to me something along the lines of this, like, I love it, and I love that it's small, and I hope it stays small, and I hope it doesn't get too big, because if it gets too big, it's going to get ruined, and they have an example of a church that's too big and is ruined. And I've had that conversation countless of times at all three different churches, and, and it's always struck me how strange that is. Because I understand what they're saying and I understand why they're saying it. Because, but I've never heard anyone say, look, I just really hope that Habitat for Humanity never grows. <laughs> I mean, I, I just really hope that Charity Water or Compassion International just stay really small and they don't get too big and get ruined. I hope the Red Cross doesn't grow at all. No, no, no one's ever said that. Like, we've never said that because we believe that those organizations are actually doing some good in the world. So we want them to grow. We value them. So we give to them and we help them and we support them. We champion them. But when it comes to the church, I, I think part of the reason why we don't want it to grow, or at least we don't want it to grow beyond a certain point, is because we don't really believe that this has value for the world out there. And I think if we got really honest, we'd have to admit that at some level, this is a space that we want for ourselves. We, it, it has value for us, but we struggle to see it as something that actually matters for other people. But I, I think one of the great convictions of my life, one of the things that, 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 I, that gets me out of bed every single day, and one of the things that I, I hope I can begin to convince you of during this series is that the church is not something that's just supplemental. It's not something that just kind of get, gets added onto your life sort of in the periphery, but it's absolutely critical and essential. And I think that's part of the tension that we feel. It's like, that, like you wouldn't be here if you didn't think that it had some value. But I think so often we don't see it as essential or critical to our lives. It's helpful, no doubt about that, but it, it's just supplemental. It's an add-on. It's part of our life, but it's on the periphery. And, and that actually tends to be true the longer that you're a follower of Jesus. The more time you've spent at church, the more it just kind of becomes this thing that's sort of attached to the outside of your life. So it's important for us to understand that the idea of church actually began with Jesus. It was Jesus who spoke to his followers and said that he would be the one that built his church. It wasn't something that developed later on. It wasn't something that developed over time. It was actually an integral part of the very beginning of the movement of Jesus that he initiated with his own life and his own death and his own resurrection. See, I, I, when you begin to read the story of the scriptures, you begin to look at the, the message and the person of Jesus, you actually begin to see that God is constantly calling, him to him, calling us to himself. That he's inviting us to come and to have a relationship with him as creator and creation. But through that process, that God is not just calling us to himself, but he's calling us to each other. We, we always want to separate the two, but for Jesus, they went hand in hand. Because Jesus' invitation to follow him, it was an invitation to a community that was worth living for, the church, and to a cause that was worth giving your life for, that was worth dying for, so that the message and the truth that every single person on this planet would know that there is a God 
that he created them, that he loves them, that his son came and gave his life for them. And through the brilliance and the genius of Jesus, those two things, that community and that cause, they're inextricably connected. They, it, it's impossible to separate them. Cause, mission, and purpose, but also belonging and connection and community. And the problem is we, we often get the order wrong. And so most of the time we think, all right, man, if I can just find my people, if I can just find the place that I really connect, if I can just find my community, if I, if I, if I can just really find that sense of belonging and that place that I really, then I'll jump in and we can really go after the, the cause. We can really make a difference. But it's actually the other way around. When you, when you look at Jesus, when he stood before his followers, when he came and found the disciples, when they were just fishermen, and he said, come and follow me. He didn't say, come and follow me, we'll have a really cool bro hangout. He said, come and follow me, and I'm gonna actually teach you how to fish for men. Come and f-. It was an invitation to a cause. See, when we commit ourselves to the mission, to the cause, to the purpose, to the thing that Jesus gave his life for, what we find is that the people who are part of it with us, that they're the ones that actually become our community. They're the ones that actually become the people that we put down roots with. There's something about working and serving and sacrificing with other people for something that's bigger than us that bonds us to those people, that people who band together tend to bond together. And it's no different in our faith community. The open secret about a faith community is that those who feel most connected are typically those who serve most consistently. Now, that's not my opinion. That's just what I've seen bear out. Those who get the most out of it are typically the ones who put the most into it. And you know this, this, if if we were talking about anything, if we were talking about your health, your relationship, your family, your career, your school, you know this, that the more that you put in, the more you lean in, the more attention and engagement and passion that you put in, the more, the bigger the return. In John chapter two, Jesus went to a wedding with his disciples and his family was there too. Check out what happened. John chapter two, verse one says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So this is one of those moments where um, there's a total mom move where she comes to Jesus and she says, a factual statement, but it's obvious she's like, you need to do something about this. She's not just making an observation like, oh my, they're out of wine. What shall we do? No, no, no. She's like, hey, Jesus, um, <clears throat> really cool that you got your entourage and all your disciples. Uh, they have no more wine. Arguably, the biggest part of throwing a successful party don't run out of food and don't run out of alcohol. But someone has screwed up. The thing is, these are not Mary's relatives. This is not her problem. Doesn't matter. Mary's a mom. She's like, what if this was my daughter? What if this was my son? Somebody needs to do something. Have you ever had something that had to become important to you simply because it became important to your mom? Like you're cruising along, just living your life, and then all of a sudden you're like, boom, okay, I guess this is important to me now because it's important to her. 
That's what's happening. And Jesus wasn't planning on doing anything about it. It even says so, verse four. In John chapter two, he says, Jesus, this is Jesus' response. Woman, why are you involving me? My hour has not yet come. By the way, like, he's not being disrespectful. Like, he's like, what do you want, woman? No, he's, like, that, that's how it gets translated into English. But he was just saying, hey, like, I'm not going to get involved. He wasn't going to do anything about, about it. Do you think that mattered to his mama, though? No, it did not. Look at verse five. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She completely ignores his objection. He's like, I'm not, why are you involving me? I'm not gonna do anything. She's like, you guys just do what he says. Another classic mom move. It kind of actually makes me feel better knowing that the son of God got voluntold by his mom once. Like, (laughs) I mean, there's only one human being on the planet that could probably have pulled that off in the moment. And that was Jesus' mom. So this is what happens. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. And he, call, he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Hey, that's a pro tip, right? If you're gonna throw a party, start with the good stuff, then get a, okay, now you just bring out the Pabst, all right? Uh, he says, but you have saved the best till now. So this is awesome. Jesus intervenes because his mom told him to intervene. And he doesn't turn the water into the cheap stuff. He, he, we're not talking about the, you know, Franzia box wine. No, we're, we're talking about world-class wine. And he didn't just make a little bit. He made between 120 and 180 gallons. There were six jars that held between 50, you know, 50 and 60 gallons. And he turned all of that. That's a lot of drinking, okay? 180 gallons of wine. That is a lot of wine. Because I'm a little bit passive aggressive, I, I like to think, like, like project onto Jesus in this moment. And he's like, all right, you want, fine, you want wine? I'm gonna make 180 gallons worth of wine. See, and you're gonna drink it all. But here's the point. Everyone, and I don't want you to miss this. Everybody at the party, everybody at the wedding, everybody who was around, everyone benefited from the miracle. But only the servants got to see it happen. Only the people who were there helping and serving actually saw, it said that they scooped it up, they take it, they don't even know where the wine came from, but the servants knew. They're like, that dude just turned all of that into wine. In fact, John said it this way in verse 11. He said, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. See, you're probably familiar with this story, but I I think sometimes we sell it short. It's like all he did was turn water into wine. Like like that's happened before. Like we just, it wasn't one of those big miracles. Like he just saved a wedding reception by giving them wine. But 
John says this is the first moment where the glory of God actually began to break open into humanity and people began to see and understand that that's not just a regular dude. That guy has got something else going on. This was his first miracle. This was the first time his glory was revealed and the only people who witnessed it were the people who were serving they saw and experienced Jesus in a way that nobody else did that day. Everybody got to enjoy the wine. Everybody got to enjoy the benefits of the miracle. Only the people who were serving. And it's true for us. See, everyone benefits from the work of Jesus. But those who are, those who are serving experience the power of God at work. There's something different that happens in us when we are actually about the mission of what God came to do. Now, I'm not saying that if you help unload the truck one Sunday, that somebody's coming back from the dead. I'm not saying that there will miraculously be a case of white claws in your fridge when you get home. But I do know that something will begin unlocking in your faith. And I don't have the ability to put it into words. But I know when you read this story and you read the story of Jesus and you read the life of Jesus and you begin to dig into the scriptures and the new, that, that something happens in us, that God does something in us and for us and through us that cannot be explained. It doesn't happen in any other way than when we are about what he is about. I do know that you will experience God and you will experience people in a completely different way. I know that it changes you when you realize that you played a small part in the life change that someone experienced when they crossed the line of faith. That you, it changes you when you realize that I did this, that I, I, I set up these chairs or I, did, I helped you know, lead, the, I pushed these buttons, I mixed the sound, I taught these kids, I served donuts. And together, we created a place where my neighbors came and they experienced God's love. It begins to change you when you actually have that skin in the game. When you have a front row seat to see what God is doing in other people's lives. See, there's all kinds of opportunities to serve here, but I want you to hear me. Nobody here Starting with me, nobody here sees you as a volunteer to be recruited. It is, if that's all it was, I would not waste my breath talking about it. I'd just call you up. Hey, you unload the truck. It's way, way, way bigger than that. Our heart is to, for each of us to have unleashed in our lives our God-given gifts, talents, and abilities and that we move together to step into all that God created you to be for us to become who God created us to be as a church. See, I, I don't know why, but the thing that I've discovered in my life is the answers so often to our most desperate prayers for our life and our needs they often don't come while we're on our knees, but while we're on our feet, serving God, loving other people, that God pours into us because now there's room because we have emptied ourselves in giving our life away. You wanna be closer to God? You want your life to be full of the activity of God? 
You want to find connection and community and purpose and mission? Begin to give your life away serving. Have it start here, but don't, it's not limited here. There are very few people who are closer to Jesus in the three years of his public ministry um, than a guy named Peter. And Peter wrote a couple of letters that are part of the New Testament. And this is what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 7, he said, The end of all things is near. So, above all, love each other deeply. And each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Notice where he starts. He starts with perspective, right? That that you get one shot at this thing. You get one at bat. That life is short. You don't have unlimited time. Life is a gift. So don't waste your life on petty conflict and empty pursuits is essentially what he's saying. And so he goes on. He says, so learn to love people deeply and then leverage whatever gifts that you've been given to serve other people. See, because serving actually frees us from a small life that's just about us. It doesn't just enlarge our hearts, it enlarges our lives. And notice what he says after that. He says that that the, the gifts and talents and abilities that you've been given are actually expressions of God's grace. That, that, that there's, there's no spectators in God's family and when you leverage your life for something bigger than you to serve other people, that there's something about that where you're managing and dispensing and dispersing the grace of God as you do that. That's why I'm not embarrassed or hesitant at all to have a conversation like this and to make this invitation and for us to have this challenge because I believe with all my heart it's what you were made for. I believe that it's better. I believe that you were made for good and for impact. I believe that there's a blessing in serving. I believe that your gift matters, that your part is an indispensable part of what God wants to do here at South Hills, that you were designed by God to create and contribute and not just consume that nobody here needs another thing on their to-do list. And that's the danger with this, is I'm absolutely convinced of all this stuff, but I have to tell you, there's so many times in my life that serving other people is just one more thing that I'm like, oh, I gotta get that done, I gotta get that done, I gotta go over there, I gotta, I gotta show up here, I gotta do that thing. And, and nobody needs that. But when you're able to step back and you go, look, all of us were created by God on purpose, for a purpose, that this is something that's actually, I'm steward, I'm managing and dispersing the grace of God as I unload this truck, as I watch these kids, as I change this diaper, as I mix this sound. There's no way to read the scriptures and come away with any other conclusion than that this thing called the church that started with Jesus, it's not supplemental. It's absolutely essential. And when we take our place in the work that God is doing, we actually begin to discover and to become and express the purpose for which he created us. I said a little while ago, my heart has never been ever to grow a big church. I I honestly don't care. But part of the passion that God placed inside of me is is a desire to grow big people. 
people who dream ridiculously, people who serve sacrificially, people who give generously, and people who love recklessly. That, that's what I want our church to be about because that's who Jesus was. And when we band together, it doesn't matter what 2021 holds or what 2022 is like. It doesn't matter what life throws at us. It doesn't matter if there's another pandemic. It doesn't matter what mandates happen. It doesn't matter what shutdowns happen. It doesn't matter what any government does, any economy does, that we will become an unstoppable force in this valley for good and for God. I believe that with all of my heart. This is not supplemental. It's absolutely essential to what God wants to do in your neighbor's life and in your friend's life and in your coworker's life and your family's life and your frenemy's life. And God meets people here and changes their life. Not because there's anything magical about this place. It is a smelly gymnasium. And not because there's something special per se about South Hills. Because our church exists so that people like those we saw in the video earlier, people who live next door to you, the people that work in the cubicle next to you, the people that in your life can experience the hope and the power and the love of Jesus. This place only exists because there's a whole bunch of people that pull together to make it happen. In fact, all of the things that any of us love about South Hills happen because there are people who live this stuff every week. So this is pretty cool. Today is our 52nd Sunday of having services. We didn't officially open our doors. <laughs> Felt like I just sunk a putt. We didn't open our doors until October of last year. We had our grand opening in November, but we actually started having, like we had our soft launch, we started having services in 2020. I mean, in September of 2020. There are some really amazing people here, some of whom have shown up and served 48, 49, 50 of those 52 Sundays. That is, it's incredible and it's humbling, but imagine just for a moment, what could happen if we harness the power of everyone? Imagine what we could do if we all served together. If we all jumped in, if we all pulled the same direction. Imagine the impact we could make. Imagine what God would do in your life, through your life. Imagine how we could fill this place up not because they're coming for a show, but they're coming because there's an army of people here who love God and love each other and have given themselves to see the good and the grace and the power and the hope and the love of God impact this valley. Imagine. So, this is the challenge. I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to conclude. You're going to go have some ice cream. 
There's a table outside. This has five or six categories of places and opportunities where you can jump in and serve if you'd like, if you want to take the challenge. We have one of our leaders that's going to be there. If you have questions, what's this about? How do I? There's a table out there on every surface out there. There's some of our connect cards. You're not making a lifetime commitment. We're just saying, what if we all did this for a month? So while you're having your ice cream, maybe peruse over to the table nonchalantly. Act like you're going for a sample at Costco. All right? Because you know when you go for samples at Costco, you act like you don't really want it, but somebody's, somebody's thrusting it upon you. Like, okay. So nobody's going to try to strong arm you. We just want to invite you to take the challenge. Let's pray together.